This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, violins and things we wish we were better at. When I was around age 13, I discovered electric violins. Uh, and then for me, it was game over from there. Like that, I was like, this is what I have to do. I have to get my hands on an electric violin. Playing violin is very, very difficult. And you're trying to train your muscle memory so that your fingers go to that exact perfect tenth of a millimeter spot every single time. And so it really uh, takes a lot out of you. What ended up happening, I was going through kind of a a period of questioning myself musically, and I I was feeling a lot of imposter syndrome. I posted this one video, and I woke up the next morning with 100,000 followers. And I was um, at the grocery store, and I started crying. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share, leave a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So I think the best way to introduce our first guest is to let you hear her music. This is electric violinist Mia Asano. Was it always the violin for you or did you try other instruments and then find the violin? Um, When I was five years old, um, I was given the choice from my parents. Um, They said you could play violin, guitar or piano. Uh, And I chose the violin and, you know, I could have had other opportunities to try other instruments throughout the years, but I kind of just fell in love with the violin right away and basically never looked back. What was it about it? Um, it's hard recalling back to my five-year-old brain. Uh, I think I just probably liked the look and sound of it the most. I would say that probably the violin is the coolest looking instrument to play. I would, I agree with that. Um, I think both a typical acoustic classical violin, I think it looks beautiful and, um, It's one of my favorite instruments. But then when I was around age 13, I discovered electric violins. Uh, And then for me, it was game over from there. Like that, I was like, this is what I have to do. I have to get my hands on an electric violin. Um, And that's why what I do normally now is I I play both um, acoustic violin and electric violin. But I would say my primary at the moment and what I'm known for most is being an electric violinist. So with me knowing absolutely nothing about violins besides Mm -hmm. what they're called, 
and that they have <laughs> strings. Uh-huh. Like what's what's the difference between your kind of classical violin mm-hmm. and an electric violin? Like what's what's the difference there? So a uh, classical violin, um, it's also called, I mean, I call it an acoustic violin, but a lot of people recognize it as a classical violin. So you go to an orchestra and you see people playing these wooden instruments. That's a, that's a violin. Um, and typically they have four strings. The string notes are E, A, D, and G. A lot of the time people who play it will focus on the, cl- the music of the classical uh, traditions. So, you know, your Bach and your Beethoven and your Mozart. Uh, and that's, that's t- a typical like classical violin. You, you also see though fiddle players, they'll play on acoustic violins as well, but they call them a fiddle. Uh, and, and that's what, when people typically think of a violin, that's what they think. Um, an electric violin can take many shapes and forms because it doesn't rely on the body of the instrument to project the sound. So as you can see in a classical violin, um, it's hollow inside. Uh, and so through those little squiggly S looking things on the, on the instrument, the sound comes through those, they're called the F holes. Um, and the instrument itself is projecting the sound out, but on an electric violin, uh, a lot of the time, the body of the instrument is solid or it looks really weird. Like they can make them look as weird as they want. There's this one, um, maker that makes them look like skulls or there's one, the one that I play on, um, it's called a Viper. Uh, from wood violins and it looks like a flying v electric guitar and it has frets and seven strings uh and so what an electric violin allows you to do and why i became obsessed with them really quickly uh is they're really similar to electric guitars so you can uh play you can plug it into like a guitar effects pedal rig and so i can put distortion on it i can make it sound like an electric guitar i can put all these different crazy effects on it Uh, and make it sound like not even like a violin anymore. So something I'm really passionate about is just breaking the boundaries of, you know, I was classically trained for 16 years. I still play classical music and I love it. In addition to that, I have all these other musical interests like rock and pop uh, and electronic music. And uh, my electric violin allows me to play those um, and play stylistically more appropriately in the setting. If I'm in a rock band, then I can plug in and, and play rock music instead of then I'll go play fiddle tunes with my Celtic band on my acoustic violin. So that's, that's the difference. Is there any kind of animosity there between like the classical violinists and the electric violinists? Like all these kids and their damn electric violins. Um, yes. (laughs) Uh, there, there's different, you know, I think this is true in any community. Um, when people do something that's different and that kind of breaks from tradition, there are going to be, purists who take offense to it. Uh, I've experienced incredible support from musicians in the classical community who see what I'm doing and they think like, I really love that because it's, it's taking the violin to a new level that's opening it up to new audiences and blah, blah, blah. Then there's other people. And I get quite a bit of hate comments on my social media platforms from people who say, I've been told that I'm a disgrace to the classical violin world. I've been told um, that there's like kind of an ongoing joke from some YouTube channel of people calling it calling my electric violin sacrilegious. So um, and I know it's kind of like an internet joke. So I I don't take offense to it or get upset by it. But, you know, there's a lot of people who will be like, that's a sacrilegious violin. Just play an acoustic violin, play a classical violin. Um, And there's a lot of people who, because admittedly, to be a classical violinist, it takes a lot of work. Um, There are people that are practicing like six to eight hours a day. Uh, And, you know, I grew up 
doing that. I was I was in deep in the classical world. Uh, so I have a lot of respect for the classical community. I'm still I still consider myself a part of it in addition to the other stuff that I do. Um, but there's people that have to put in so much work to play this music that is so intensely difficult. Um, so to see someone playing an electric violin, there's a lot of misunderstandings. People think that it it takes less skill to play an electric violin, which is not true. Um, and there are people that think that because I'm playing pop music or rock music, um, people who are putting in six hours a day practicing this intense classical music, um, some of them, some of them get offended. They're like, what you're doing is so easy compared to how much work I've had to put. It's, it's, I think it's a, it's a misunderstanding because I, I still have to put in a lot of work. When you look at kind of an orchestra, is a violin a harder instrument to play than say like the saxophone? I don't know what else in an orchestra. <laughs> the, uh, the, like, it, like would people like, ooh, you got to be good to play the violin. People have to work very, very hard no matter what you play. So that's that's the caveat. That being said, uh, playing violin is very, very difficult. And I feel very fortunate that I started when I was young because um, like – Okay, I didn't I didn't come up with this. Itzhak Perlman, a very famous violinist, said this. He said, you could take a beginner and sit them down at a piano and try to teach them Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Sit them down at a piano and sit them down at a violin. By the end of the day, on the piano, it'll sound like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. On the violin, you have no idea what it's going to sound like. Um, because you're dealing with the bow, which has the potential to sound so horrible if you don't know what you're doing with it. Um, whereas... So, like, I think on any instrument, it, it can be very difficult to to play the repertoire, like the difficult repertoire. Um, on the violin, a lot of my students struggle a lot with making it not sound like screeching or <laughs> that type of stuff. It, it's it's very challenging. So I'm glad I started when I was young because I, I joke that it takes you about 10 years to kind of figure out how to make it sound not terrible. And then after that, uh, hopefully you're good enough that you can get into a music school. So why is it so difficult? Um, so definitely the bow adds a whole nother level because you're not just um, there's there's so much potential, like I just mentioned, for the for the bow to, to sound scratchy or screechy. Uh, the other really difficult part is on the instrument itself, you want your notes to play in tune. Uh, and on the violin, there's about a tenth of a millimeter of space where you're playing the exact right note and if your finger is anywhere around that perfect spot uh you're out of tune and so unlike on a guitar where you put your finger down between the frets and that's the correct note um, or on a piano where as long as hopefully the piano is in tune you press the key and it's in tune um, on the violin you could put your finger down in the right spot and I'm putting finger quotations, the right spot, and it could still be the note, but not the perfectly in tune note. So I used to spend, I would have a violin lesson and we would spend the entire hour working on one measure of music because um, I would be, I wouldn't be playing that note perfectly in tune. And then a lot of the time on violin, you're playing chords. So that's multiple notes at the same time. And you have to play those notes so they perf are perfectly in tune with each other. So the way I would do that is I would play it and adjust my fingers slowly until I can hear them ringing in the most beautiful in tune way. And then I would take my hand off the instrument and I put it back on the instrument and try it again. And you're trying to train your muscle memory so that your fingers go to that exact perfect tenth of a millimeter spot every single time. And so it really uh, takes a lot out of you, I will say. Um, and then my electric violin 
uh, has frets on it. Um, and so it looks like guitar frets. Uh, but contrary to popular belief, I have a lot of people that think that because I have frets on my electric violin, automatically I can play in tune. So people will say, you're cheating because you have frets on your electric. The frets don't actually help me play in tune because it's the same way as on my classical violin. I have a tenth of a millimeter on the electric violin that's perfectly in tune. The frets just uh, serve as like a physical reference point. If I'm playing live and I can't hear myself, then I can see and feel where the notes are supposed to go. Because again, on the violin, you can put your finger anywhere and not, if you can't hear yourself, you don't know if that's in tune or not. You're constantly listening and adjusting uh, to make sure everything is is perfectly intonated. So what makes a really, like somebody like yourself, what makes a good violinist really good? For me personally, I judge it more based on, uh, did you make me feel something with what you just played? And that's the mark of like a really good violinist for me. When people kind of do that, when they put their own kind of signature on it, mm-hmm. right? Like, can people like myself hear the difference? Or is it mainly just people like you that would be able to hear the difference? Um, I think a trained violinist will be able to hear the difference because, again, there is typically a an ideal way to play something. But the thing is, everyone has a different view of the right way to play a piece. Like, um, for example, kind of the composer that is uh, highly revered for violinists is Bach because he wrote these incredible sonatas and partitas for solo violin that are so difficult. Um, and to play them beautifully is uh, a, a really incredible. They're, they're meant to be played in churches. Like it's a very um, like sacred p- uh, piece of music for you to be able to play as a violinist. It's also really hard to play it well. And every single violinist in the world has a different idea of like the correct and proper way to play it. So what I learned is you can't really please everyone. I also learned from a teacher of mine <laughs> um, that if I'm gonna go play violin for like an audition for an orchestra and I go in playing Bach, chances are the way that I've interpreted it is not going to be the same as the way that the auditioner has interpreted it. The music that your own music now, is that something that you've written or is that more of a stylistic interpretation of things? Um, it's, it's both. So for my own music, uh, because yeah, what I mostly do nowadays, uh, is alternative contemporary styles of music. So, um, again, pop rock, electronic, uh, Celtic music. I, I go to the Berklee College of Music, so I've been studying jazz and R&B. Uh, there's all these different other styles of music that the violin is capable of. Uh, and what I mostly do is, um, well, I've, I release original music and I, I do write and release original music. So I actually just put out uh, a single uh, and it's called Lunar and it's an, kind of a pop electronic uh, violin track, but I, I co-wrote it with a professor of mine, uh, Jason Anik, who's an incredible jazz violinist. So with him, we kind of put a jazzy, bluesy spin on parts of it while still collaborating with some electronic producers to make it very like pop electronic. Um, so that's kind of the style of music I'm trying to go in. Uh, but then on my social media, so what happened is um, about a year ago, I sort of accidentally had some videos go viral uh, on TikTok and Instagram. And that was me kind of just doing pop covers, uh, covering different like songs that were trending. Um, and there was a, a pretty big public reaction to it. People really enjoyed it and really liked the electric violin that I was playing on. So um, a lot of what I do nowadays is uh, playing covers uh, and short, just short, fun daily videos that I put out um, just for fun. Were you surprised by the reaction that you had? Because I saw some stuff, it was like 10 let's call it 20 million, whatever, however yeah. many millions it is. But were you yeah. surprised by people's <clears throat> reaction to it? 
Um, I was, I was, I was surprised. I'll, I'll be honest, because what ended up happening, I was going through kind of a a period of questioning myself musically, and I, I was feeling a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, this was kind of like in the middle of the pandemic when it was like that dark time when everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, like when will this be over?" and and I was definitely feeling that. So, um, just to kind of bring myself out of my slump and to try to come back to playing music that I feel felt passionate about. I started posting videos kind of secretly on on TikTok. Um, you know, I didn't know much about the platform. I just kind of woke up one day and I had this idea to I was like, okay, there's all these trends that go around on TikTok. What if I did those those trending things but as uh electric violin covers. So, I started doing it um not really expecting anything to happen. Like obviously it'd be nice to have your video go viral, uh, but I wasn't really like setting out like, oh, I'm going to try to get TikTok famous. What ended up happening though, is because I got really clear on, I want to be authentically myself. I want to help people and make people happy. I want to, um, and then I'd been honing my video editing skills and my audio editing skills throughout the pandemic. So all of that kind of combined into this perfect storm where within a week of me posting every day on the app, uh, I, posted this one video just totally not expecting anything to happen I threw it together in like a half hour and just like threw it up on the internet um and I went to uh the store with a friend and as as I'm leaving the store I look and the video had 36,000 views and I was like oh my gosh and it kept climbing and climbing and by the end of the night it had two million views and I woke up the next morning with a hundred thousand followers and I was um, at the grocery store and I started crying. I was like, how I was not expecting that. And I couldn't believe that it happened literally overnight. There was like a really positive response to it. And that was so meaningful to me. Cause again, I'm coming off of months of feeling so uninspired and, and sad and, and feeling lost musically. Are you ready for some listener, some harder slash listener submitted questions? Yeah, let's do it. Hardest song to play. Hardest song to play. The hardest song to play, I think that's really subjective. Uh, it depends on the person's abilities. Um, that being said, I think any Paganini uh, is extremely difficult. He's this incredible composer who wrote um, these caprices. So like to be a violinist that can play a Paganini caprice is very, very impressive. Um, and then any of like the bigger name uh, violin concertos, I would say, are, are very difficult. Have you ever had a violin-related injury? Yes, I have had many violin-related injuries. Uh, I was in an orchestra in high school, and we were rehearsing, I think, to play at like Carnegie Hall, like which was a very cool experience. But we were having these like really long, intense rehearsals, um, and I it was like seventeen hours over the course of two days, uh, and I remember not knowing at the time I was young. Uh, I didn't know to warm up and stretch before you played. I didn't know the importance of that. Uh, and because it was so intense and I was playing for so long and I didn't have the best posture, uh, I've learned since then, but I, my shoulder started hurting. And then for the next few years, every time I would play, my shoulder would hurt, uh, my left shoulder. So finally in college, I went into the physical therapist at my school and I was like, hey, um, I've had this shoulder pain for the last four years. Can you help me? Uh, and I went to a sports doctor and they diagnosed it as coracoid impingement. Uh, and then throughout the course of that year, I also developed uh, tendonitis in my hands uh, and forearms. And a lot of musicians, um, and a lot of violinists that I know have these types of injuries just from it's called an overuse injury because 
again, there are people that are practicing yeah. eight or nine hours a day. So like, of course you're going to overuse it at some point. Um, so then is the violin the most dangerous instrument? Well, any instrument, any instrumentalist can injure themselves like pianists, um, you know, guitar, like all of the, I, I, I don't know a single, I have a friend from, uh, from high school who was an incredible, uh, who is an incredible percussion player. Um, and you know, they were playing a marimba so much that they ended up with these forearm injuries. So it's, it's not just violin. It's, um, they call us small muscle athletes. Uh, so, you know, you have your big muscle athletes, like a soccer player, or a football player, um, musicians, like technically, according to the sports doctors that I've talked to, that's why I had to go to a sports doctor. Um, you know, we're exercising these small muscles in our hands and our fingers and our neck, um, in our shoulders, uh, depending on the instrument, like drummers are using their legs. Yeah. Uh, so, anyone is really uh there's potential for injury for anyone if you don't know the right types of if you don't know how to take care of your body um and if you're overdoing it and unfortunately a lot of young people because we're not taught how to take care of ourselves we're just taught practice a lot and get better do people go nuts driving the playing the violin like i feel like it's the kind of thing that you could you would have to be like so obsessed with you know, kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Black Swan or something like that, yeah, or just yeah. the pressure and all that stuff. Like, does that happen to people? Um, I wouldn't specifically say, like, go nuts. Go right. nuts. But <laughs> right. um, there's a lot of burnout um, that I also have experienced at times. Um, there is a lot of pressure because everyone's kind of competing for similar jobs because um, this is it's, it's dependent on the person, but a lot of the jobs for violinists are uh, playing in an orchestra, for example, and there's only a certain number of seats in that orchestra. And a lot of those people in the orchestra um, have kind of a almost like permanent position. It's very hard to, to get um, a, a job in, in those settings, unless you're really, really good. And to be really, really good, you need to practice really, really hard. And so, um, you know, people are competing for limited seats. Uh, there's very limited, limited jobs available. And so as a result, um, it can be discouraging for some people. Um, for other people, it's the thing that they want to do the most and they love it the most and um, nothing will deter them from that. And I think for any musician, like that's what it takes to to make it far as a musician is you have to have that internal drive and passion where it's almost like you can't do anything else. Like you have to do this and then it's worth it. Uh, it's worth it to, to put all that time and, and energy into it. Like they say, life is suffering so what you should you need to find the thing that it's worth suffering for most expensive violin you've ever played oh no um the most expensive one i've ever played is definitely like i don't think they'd let me touch one of the million dollar ones um but the they they can get that expensive um i've played ones in the like 50 to 100,000 dollar range but just like when i'm out of violin shop like and they have one there and they let me touch it, you know, like, um, and, but th that is the range of, of a lot of violin, um, a lot of higher end violins. Uh, they can get that expensive. They, they can range from like $200 uh, that you could buy like online from there all the way to millions of dollars. Um, and, and bows too, like uh, a violin bow, like they can get up to like $200,000. Like they're, they're, they can be very expensive. I know it just looks like a stick, but it's a really, really important stick. And some of them are made from like this extinct Brazilian tree wood. And there's like, and it's like the best thing that you can get. And so it gets really rare. Uh, and so, you know, the prices can really vary on, on different instruments. 
is it rare because it, I mean, is it that expensive because it's rare or is it that expensive because like, Ooh, that really is a better violin. Um, it's both. I think there's definitely like, like with anything like with fashion or right. business or whatever, like brand value is, is a, a thing. And there's some incredible violin makers um, from hundreds and hundreds of years ago that made these pieces of art that are just the most incredible, incredibly intricately crafted instruments that are not only just better, but then because like Stradivarius is, is, probably the most commonly known uh, violin maker. So to play on a Stradivarius violin, you know, it's it's very high quality. Also, it's really rare because obviously Stradivarius is not around anymore. Coolest place you've ever played? Um, there's a couple answers to that. One of them, uh, as I mentioned before, was Carnegie Hall. Uh, I toured there with with an orchestra um, and it was it was amazing. Uh, definitely a, a life-changing experience because it's, it's seen as such a... a important and incredible venue. Um, but then I've, I've gotten to play some really fun events at different um, like nightclubs. Uh, and I played at the House of Blues in Boston. And that was really fun. Uh, it, that was a really, really fun experience. Um, but definitely probably Carnegie Hall is my favorite. Best violin related joke. Oh, no. Um, I mean, okay, it's like a thing in orchestras where like we the instruments will make fun of each other so like the poor violas and a viola is like a violin but um the tone is a little deeper the instrument's usually bigger and the strings are different instead of e-a-d-g it's a-d-g-c so in an orchestra you have your first violins sitting next to them are the second violins then you have the violas and then next to them are the cellos right and so all the instruments will kind of give each other a hard time and and people will make specifically they'll make jokes about the viola and then the violas will fire back with jokes about the violins but like it'll be really funny st- uh, like funny but also kind of like they'll they'll try to insult each other like oh um like what's the best best note you can hear or the best sound that you can make from a violin uh the sound of it hitting a trash can or something like that i don't know do you check your vi- – when you fly, do you check your violin in carry-on or do you bring it with you? Or wait, do you check your violin or do you bring it with you? Never, ever, ever check your violin because the violin is so delicate that like even when the weather changes, my violin will freak out. Um, and also, as you now know, violins can get pretty expensive. So I'm not trying to replace my violin every time I check it and it gets broken So uh, because the air pressure is changing and – stuff like that. So, uh, and there's been a bunch of violinists who have tried to get on airplanes. And sometimes I've heard horror stories about the airline trying to force them to check the violin. And um, you can't because it'll, it'll break it. Uh, I feel really bad for cello players though. What they have to do is either uh, one of my roommates is a cellist and he will either like take the risk and check the cello, but put it in like this really intense like case with all this padding in it and just like take the risk or cellists will have to buy a second plane ticket for their cello. Uh, and um, I have some friends that have done that. My brother's a cellist. So if he were to travel with his cello, uh, he would have to buy a second plane ticket and just sit next to it on the flight. Um, and, and yeah. <laughs> that's gotta be a weird feeling. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's gotta be strange. Like just sitting here with my cello. <laughs> God, they offer you imagine a drink. having like the cello is just in the middle seat. That's like, what they do. Can you move, That's what you have to do. Can you move this thing, man. <laughs> like, like no, nope, this is this cello. You gotta put it in its seatbelt. You gotta. 
uh, offered a drink. It's it's a it is a, a <laughs> right. member of the plane. Yeah. Um, it is. A, you paid for the ticket. You better get those snacks for it. That yep. makes sense. But like, <laughs> yeah, that, I would demand it. A lot of people will rent <laughs> instruments in whatever city they're in uh, or like for tours and stuff. Even if people are flying, sometimes they'll have like a driver drive all the instruments to the next location. Like it, it depends. Like people find ways around it. But I think like traveling with your instrument is the best way if you can afford it. Like obviously it's a huge expense. Um, but then you're not playing an unfamiliar instrument where you go. But like my my school orchestra, we we. Uh, toured Europe once and went to Austria and we're playing there and we couldn't bring our ch- the cellos on the plane. Uh, so we just rented cellos when we were there and, and the cellos just had to kind of figure it and the bass players too. Um, they just had to figure it out when they were there <laughs> and it was okay. <laughs> See, you just get a flute, right? What's the little I mean, tiny one? Like the, the piccolo. piccolo? Yeah. Just get a yeah. piccolo. Put that yep. thing in your pocket. <laughs> um, so you've said some words that I didn't definitely recognize best piece of violin lingo best piece of violin lingo there's so much it's so cool um and that's been the thing is i've been exposed to like german and italian and sometimes spanish because there's all these different in the in the music there's all these different markings and you got to learn what they mean um so let's see uh a lot of people will ask me can you play your violin without a bow uh, and that's actually one of my most viral videos was me answering that question. And the answer is yes. You just pluck the string with your finger and it's called pizzicato. Uh, so, Ooh, or for short pits. Uh, I like that one a lot. Um, there's all the, I like ricochet. That's where you kind of bounce your bow on the strings, but every time the bow bounces, you play a note. Uh, so it sounds really cool. Um, I like glissando. That's when you slide into a note and I do that all the time. There's, I mean, there's so many, I could just go on and on and on. <laughs> Oh, those are good ones. Now, is the new is your new album out now? Yeah, coming out? Um, the the single is out. I'm in the process of writing the album, but the single I just dropped it on uh, let's see, on October twentieth. So it's been out for a couple months now, uh, and people have been really supportive of it. It's on all streaming platforms, and it's also I did a music video in a laser light studio, uh, and that's up on YouTube. So I'm really excited about it. That's pretty much all the questions that i have is there anything that you think that we missed or anything like that um no the last thing i want to say though is uh, i appreciate when people are open-minded uh about what the violin is capable of and that's my passion in life is is showing people that the violin uh can break a lot of boundaries and isn't doesn't need to be intended for just one style or another um you know there's so many capabilities and the most important thing is to find what uh, speaks to you and pursue that um, and find what makes you happy uh, because there's space for everyone to um, and if everyone's doing the same thing then uh, collectively we can all support each other uh, and that's the best thing we can do I want to thank Mia so much for joining us if you want to connect with her we have linked to her on our social media accounts we're profoundly pointless on Twitter TikTok and Instagram and we have also included her information in the episode description okay Now let's go ahead and bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Did you ever play an instrument growing up? I did. I uh, I played the trombone actually until uh, until this. (laughs) Of of all the instruments that you could possibly play, you know what? Though you look like a guy who plays the trombone. I can't. If you even if people listening to this have never seen either a trombone or you, they would immediately picture what like, oh yeah, that's a guy who plays the trombone. 
the ending of my trombone career is actually quite dramatic. I've never shared this story. Did you say traumatic or dramatic? Because I, I kind of hope it's both. To be, I, blend, I tried to blend it because it is traumatic and dramatic at the same time. Okay. I I was never I was never good enough to to play the saxophone, which I always wanted to play, but I wasn't that uncoordinated just to sit there and bang on the drum. So trombone was kind of in the middle. Wait a minute. Are you insulting drummers? I feel like a drummer is probably one of the more coordinated ones. I mean, I, I think once you get to a certain level, a seventh grade band where you just have to, you know, hit the gong once every eight notes isn't that yeah. terribly hard. I'm sorry. No, I feel like anybody can pretty much do that. But like the triangle, you're just dinging the thing like, <laughs> all right, come on. Yeah, yeah, you're like you're clearly just somebody's friend. It's like, oh yeah, you can be in the band too, Steve. Um, all right, so I'll, I'll try to wrap this up in in two minutes, so I I don't uh, bleed out here. It was the seventh or eighth grade uh, holiday band concert, and I'm playing the trombone. Uh, Are you first I, chair, second chair, or third chair? I need to know how good you were at the trombone. Where were you at in the rankings? I was towards the end. Uh, so, so we're playing a song. Song gets over. I look at my buddy. My buddy was next to me, uh, and 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 for some reason, I wanted to get a laugh out of him. So, you know, a holiday concert. I'm in, you know, dress pants, button down t shirt, uh, whatever. I, for some reason, find it funny to hold the trombone with one hand and put my other hand like between my pants and my belt, right? Like for some reason, I think it's funny to like. Play the trombone with my hand stuck in my pants. How far down your pants was your hand? Well, no, no. It was on the outside. Like, it was between the belt on the outside of the pants. And I was just, like, being an idiot. Like, hey, look at my hand stuck. And I can still play the trombone one-handed. And, oh, yeah. I see. So you weren't, like, trying to show that, like, you didn't have your hands in your pants. It was. Yeah, no. God, dude. No, I'm on stage <laughs> for fuck's sake. I don't uh, anyway. know, dude. I don't know what you're doing. Honestly. Anyway, so uh, section comes up with the trombones. I realize at this point, I'm like, oh, man, I better start playing. <laughs> Or like I'm gonna sound terrible. Oh no! And uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if you know where it's going, but you probably do. I so I try to I try to play one hand. The slide comes off, goes into the clarinet section in front of me, hits Samantha Moore in the back of the head. The whole band stops playing. It was a whole thing. I stand up like with the with you know the base of the trombone with my right hand. My hand is still. <laughs> wedged between my pants and my belt and and some people find it found it funny uh mr betts the band teacher did not at all he wouldn't uh he took me off stage told me to go home and uh i i was kicked out of band and never asked to uh to to join ever again which is fine because i i was playing sports band was kind of just something i like to do um but yeah he uh he told me I was never welcomed in the uh, the band ever again after that. So wow, honestly, I feel like that teacher's a jerk, right? Like you can't ban a seven year old kid for life for trying to play oh. a joke. Like, what if you completely discourage some kids? What if you were the next great trombone musician and he completely discouraged you simply <laughs> because you got your hands stuck down your pants? <laughs> the first guy. Well, I mean, I I was always considered kind of a jokester, and he knew that. And uh, I was the pattern of behavior then. You know, it's actually it's on video. Um, It is on video, which I don't know. I don't know if my parents still have the video, but it it is on video. 
Well, you have to find that, and we have to see it because it that is, sounds. Uh, man, <laughs> were you on risers? Tell me, you were on risers. We were not on risers, no. Oh, but poor Samantha Moore. I don't even like. I don't even know what's happened to her. So I, I say this hopefully out of respect. Uh, but I just remember the slide hitting her like just. <laughs> Just below the like back of the head, you know, like in the neck area, she she took a dive. The flutes went flying. Everybody stopped, and the probably the worst part about it was I stood up obviously in shock, and I just look over at my buddy, and he is dying. I mean, he is like on the floor, dying laughing. Actually, true story. Uh, after that, uh, I went into into theater. Um, and actually started in a couple of plays. So it kind of opened one door to something else. So what I don't even know if I have the energy to get into this. After 177 episodes, there is still always something that I'm like, what? What about you? I, I don't think you did you ever play an instrument? No, um, I have no no musical talent whatsoever. One of the kind of things where having so little talent of it. You never even considered the possibility. Like, why would I ever even consider playing an instrument when I knew damn well I couldn't potentially play any instrument? No matter how simple the instrument was, there was no chance of me playing it. So there was no point in wasting like anybody's time with that. Yeah, I, I think that's smart. I I, uh, I I I do know how to play the guitar. I I you know I played it in college. Uh, Eric Clapton actually the song Layla. Oh my god! Did you bring your guitar out at a party? Yeah, all the time. I was the I was this. I'm sure there's videos on YouTube of me and my uh, ex band playing at uh, talent shows around Michigan. Did it ever help you with anything? Like, did you ever actually get anywhere by pulling out your guitar? Please. Yes. In college, my final two years, I lived in a house that had a wraparound porch, oh, and me God. and some of the other guys would just sit on the porch and just play. People would show up and. Uh, Many a times it was, you know, females and it was a good time. First of all, let's cut down many a times, right? Let's cut that down to probably once. And then the second time you might have happened or it could have been a dream. <laughs> well, it's always a dream. Okay. It never actually happened. Okay. All right. Let's, 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 let's move on. All right. We, um, is it, does, am I going to give some shout outs? Is that where we're at? It's really up to you if you're ever going to be able to do it. I'm just waiting on you. I'm, I'm here <laughs> ready to, I, I was going to. Say more guitar uh, things. All right. Uh, let's see. We'll start off here at Devin Reader. Appreciate you. Uh, Darrell Sinrim. Parth Mandelik. Uh, Scott Fender. Emily Lynch. Adam Hajal. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, Anna Gelperin. I almost wrote that to where I couldn't uh, that, read my own writing. That seems like one of the easier ones. Yeah. Yash Limbar. Monica Giles. And uh, Nick Falter. Appreciate okay. all of you checking us out. All right, I have a couple of bangers for you for questions. I hope you're ready. Okay. Uh, would you rather have to ex uh, escape a bear in the forest or outrun the bulls in Spain? Oh, well, a bear in the forest. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in the forest and encounter a bear. Like, they don't want to mess with you any more than you want to mess with them, man. Right? Like, we're a fairly sizable animal compared to, like, the rest of nature. Like other animals don't know that physically we ain't shit compared to them, but we look big, right? Like people <laughs> are a big animal. I should so have known I don't you were going to dive into the, this question. Right. I don't think the bear is going to really wants to mess with you unless you absolutely give it a reason to. 
So I would much rather run into a bear in a forest than deal with the bulls in Pamplona <laughs> running from those things. Wow. And you know where they are. Well, that's look at you showing off some culture. That's impressive. Right. I mean, we've had a bullfighter on this podcast. So, right. But I'm, I'm surprised you remember. I'm surprised I even remember. And I'm, I'm just proud of you. And your hair looks great today. All right. Next question. Okay. Uh, would you trust, uh, who would you trust more to pull you from a burning building? Your best friend will say me. Uh, your dad or a complete stranger? Oh, a complete stranger. <laughs> yes. I figured that would be your answer. Right. Because this is a guy that fucked up a trombone concert, right? Like you're going to pull me <laughs> from a burning building. You're going to end up getting me more stuck and killing yourself. My dad's 77 years old. He's not pulling anybody anywhere. Like I'd much rather have a complete stranger help yeah. me out. Yeah, I, I think like if you were my best friend in that situation, I'm not entirely sure you would take me seriously. Like like if I called you, it was like, Nick, my apartment's on fire. I need you. I feel like you would you would say, no, it's not, man. Just walk out. Well, I would yeah. say walk out and call 911. What are you calling me for? <laughs> That's true. What am I going to do? Call some people who actually know how to deal with this. I'm not hauling your big ass down the steps. <laughs> what percentage of the people that you know would you trust to save your life? Oh, man. Like they could actually save your life through either the capability or the kind of like caring enough about you to do it. Like what percentage of your family and friends would you say, oh, that person could probably actually save my life? I'll say I'll say less than 5%. Yeah, it's shockingly low. Yeah. I can't think I can think of two people in my life that I'd be like, that person can get me out of a burning building. I Are think you? you could I think you could get me out of the burning building, but then you would trap yourself in the burning building while doing it, and then I would have to go back and get you. <laughs> I I'm definitely the bravado type. I would run in and, you know, I got you, Nick. Get out. Save yourself. Oh wait, this is a bad idea. Save me. Save me. I'm fucking trapped. Uh a couple things here. Um first is 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 funny, the second one not so much, but uh I was I was doing some Googling, found uh, – I know we're not big eggnog fans, you or I. At least I don't think we are. But uh, Hidden Valley, the ranch company, now has ranch nog. And I wanted to throw up just looking at it. So that uh, – sounds disgusting. It does, but apparently it's quite good according to the reviews I was reading. And uh, it was trending on Twitter all last week. Ranch I don't- nog. I don't believe any reviews anymore because every time that I've bought a product that had great reviews, it turns out to be a piece of shit. I guess I just don't really trust companies at all anymore, to be honest. I've had so much stuff messed up or things that I've gotten that are messed up that it's it's really hard just to trust anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so, hey, so how would you feel if your CEO invites you to a Zoom meeting, uh, especially with it being the holidays? And you think you're going to get some good news or at least just, you know, see your coworkers over Zoom. Uh, just like a holiday party. Next thing you know, yeah, uh, CEO comes on and he says, uh, if you're on this call, you're getting fired. God, that happened uh, just a couple of uh, the end of last week. The Better.com Mortgage Company's CEO came on to a Zoom meeting, literally just said that sentence and said, you know, after that. After that sentence, then he said one other thing, and that was HR will be in touch with you uh, about your severance and retire or uh, other packages, insurance packages. Wait a minute. He actually used the words 
he actually said, if you're on this call, you're getting fired. Like terminated. He said terminated. Those... Yes. Yes. That is exactly what he said. That's a complete moron of a person then. Right. Yeah. I understand the idea that like, look, we live in the times that we live in. You've got to communicate to people. If you've got that many employees, the CEO can't come on there and individually tell people like, right. You can't set up 9,000. How many people got fired? 900. You can't set up 900 individual Zoom calls to do that, right? Especially before word spreads around and that person finds out from somebody else. So I get the idea of doing that. But the way that he started that and sounded, if that's exactly what he said, he's a fucking moron, right? Like, Well, he's he's getting a lot of hate. I mean, it's off for Rightly you know? so. Yeah. Right? Like, there's a way that you can do that, right? Sure. Unfortunately we're going to have to lay people off. And this is the financial situation. Like everybody's an adult and everybody can handle that. As long as you don't come out there and like sucks to be you guys, you're in this call, you're getting fired. Yeah. That, that's really, that's the only reason that it caught my eye was the the headline. If you're on this call, you know, you're, you're gone. It's just, man. Yeah. What a, that's just an idiot. That's a stupid yeah. way to do that. Try to act like a human being. Cause I guarantee that guy didn't take a pay cut. Oh, probably not. An asshole. Okay, so he's the worst person in the world. Uh, all right, are you ready for our top five? Uh, I am. Let's do it. Okay, so our top five is top five things that we wish we were better at. What's your number five? Not being such an impulse buyer. Mm, control yourself more, huh? Exactly, yeah. Yep. Uh, and I am the definition of an impulse buyer, so I... I wish I had more control over just saying no because you know a lot of times the things that I impulse buy, I get them and and I'm just you know why 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 did I spend twenty five bucks on this you know it's what's what's the stupidest thing that you bought? Oh man, there's so many. I mean, I mean I collect trading cards, so you know uh, why why pay three hundred bucks for a piece of cardboard? Yeah, that's a pretty stupid purchase, to be honest yeah. with you. It is. Uh, Anyways. My number five is self-promotion. I'm not talking about, like, kissing ass. I'm talking about there are some people out there that are fantastic at, like, self-promoting themselves and getting ahead. I've always been jealous of those people and wish that I was better at, like, self-promotion. But I'm just not any good at it. I, I would say that's ass-kissing, but, uh, yeah. But there's the people who are really good at it, though. There is a line that people can cross where they go into ass kissing and some people can go right up against that line. So like, you don't, you don't quite solidify them as ass kissers, right? They don't cross the line and they're really good at it. Yeah. That, that's a good way to put it. I wish I was better at both those things, by the way, ass kissing mm. and self-promotion. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that your life would be easier though? If you were a better self-promoter or an ass kisser, no, I don't think so. I don't. Uh, I, I actually think that I do a decent job of self-promoting, uh, and it hasn't got me anywhere. So either I'm not doing a good job, or um, it just doesn't matter that much. Do you do you feel like working harder has ever gotten you anywhere? Okay, this is just me. I feel like I need to I need to preface that, uh, but absolutely not. No. And I, I think I've worked pretty hard throughout the first 15, 20 years of my adult life. And no, I don't feel like – actually, I would say the less you work, it seems, the more you get rewarded, especially in corporate America. 
I would actually second that comment and say that I used to be a very hard worker. And then I started getting farther ahead in my career when I started to tell people no. I will just say I agree with you wholeheartedly. You have to look out for you at the end of the day. No one else cares. Yeah. Oh, well, I think it makes you demonstrate your value to people that like, I'm not going to do that. And then they have to think about how much better it would be for you to be doing that. This is a whole other discussion. What's your number four? <laughs> I, love, I was having a good time with that one. Uh, so my number four is betting. I wish I was a better bet, you know, better uh, <laughs> on everything because I don't win any fucking money betting anything. Like I would quit. If I failed at something over and over and over and over again, I would stop doing it. Because you're a smart man. Because I, I can put down a dollar on an 18 parlay that might pay out, you know, 14 grand, which, you know, we've had a person on here that has said parlays are a sucker's bet. And they are absolutely true. Yeah, uh, my number four is drawing. I've always wanted to be able to draw things. And oh my I God, just... That's my number three. Yeah, I'd love to be able I've... to draw. Yeah, I I have like being an artist slash drawing, but because like I can't paint, I can't draw. I I can barely do a good job of like coloring in the lines. Well, I'm not that bad. I'm pretty. But bad. I mean, I'm so I'm bad enough that like if somebody was to have like draw something, I couldn't draw it well enough that you would even be able to tell what it was. Like if I was doing a police sketch, they're like draw us where it is on the map. Like, is that a lake? That's a tree. Like what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sir can you just draw a little map of your your route home yeah what is that <laughs> that's the road why does that look like a person that's the road though it's curvy uh my number three is kind of like that is building stuff i wish i could build things okay so man we have a lot of parity in uh our Ooh. list my, my my number two is just like being handy you know that can go along with building stuff. Just, you know, being able to, to do things around the house, I guess. Yeah. I'm basically incompetent, but okay. My number two is organization. I wish I was more organized in life in general. I, I've only known you for what? 10 years now. I, you seem pretty organized to me. You don't seem unorganized. Unless your I wife think, does everything. Well, yeah, she does a lot of it, but I could be more organized. Like what I would want to be organized versus what I am organized, I would much rather be more organized. Uh, Percentage-wise, compared to the average person, what would you say You know, your level of organization is? Uh, I couldn't do it percentage-wise, but I could do it on like a scale of 1 through 10. If 5 is average, I'm honestly straight up probably an 8 or a 9. Like I'm pretty organized with things, but I want to be a 10. And my brain doesn't operate well unless it would be a 10. So I feel very disorganized, even though I'm, it might, honestly, organization might be my best quality, but it's also the thing that I feel like I need to do more of. Oh, here's a question for you. If you were a billionaire, how much money would you spend not to be bald? I would go no more than five unless somebody or, or something could tell me that the hair was going to look like like perfect, like like it was my own hair, then I would probably spend upwards of twenty mil on it. Wow. Would you go would you spend a hundred million? If you were a billionaire, and not not just one billion, let's say you had two billion plus, would you spend a hundred million dollars trying to grow hair? Whether that is even even if it's a business investment and you're like, you know what, I got this cure. 
<laughs> let's invest in it. And you could maybe make money of it, but how would you spend a hundred million trying not to be bald? No, I think a hundred million. I don't think I, like I said, I don't think I would go over 20 mil. I could go as high as 50 million. Oh God. It would... Just talking about this. I wish I had that kind of money just to really think about these questions. But think about it in terms of if you had $100,000, right? So that would be – I don't know. I can't do that math at all. That wouldn't even – okay. A billion is a 1,000 million, so 10% of that would be 100 million. So 50 million would be 5% of your income. Would you spend 5% of your income not trying not to be bald? Yeah. I mean I would I, – yeah, I would, I would think so. And who's got like Elon Musk? Elon Musk is worth like $100 billion. Would you even bat an eye if that dude spent $500 million trying not to be bald? No, I mean, I, I really wouldn't care. What's your number one? Uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty boring, but it's uh, just maintaining, you know, trying to maintain a diet or working out. Like, I just wish I just wish I was better at, at or good at those things. I'm just, just not because I make excuses. It's either my kids or I'm too tired, you know, or, or, or just life is too busy. I just wish I was better. Uh, I just put life in general. I just wish I was better at life. <laughs> uh, my other also, I think I have two number ones. I don't think. I'm looking at it right now. I have two number ones. The other one would be sports. Because I think that if being really good at sports is probably the best thing in all of life. Because, hear me out, if you're really good at sports, you – probably are going to become wealthy. You're going to have a lot of opportunities. And it's one of the few things in life, I think, that is a true meritocracy in which you don't succeed based on luck. Like you're either good, you get like you get there based on how good you are, not necessarily based on how who you know or the circumstances that happen to you. Like sports is kind of like if you're good, you're going to get to the top. Not in other things where you can be really good, but shit just doesn't work out for you. I don't think that happens in sports. Uh, I put I had that and uh, being good at like financial things on my honorable oh, mention. That's a good one too. Yeah, I do wish I was better because, at financial stuff. Yeah, because I I could be in a completely I completely different place financially if I just would have had the wherewithal and maybe used my brain in my twenties. But instead, you know, here we are. Well, that's what your 20s are for, screwing it up. And then you spend the rest of your life fixing those mistakes that you did in your 20s. What's in your honorable mention? By being patient. We talked about sports, uh, financial awareness. Uh, and then I just have uh, – I kind of wish that uh, I was I was better at not getting so emotional uh, when I don't need to be emotional. <sighs> you are overly emotional about things <laughs> ridiculous time I can, uh, I can be yes my number i just all that i have in my honorable mention is like cooking okay i mean i'm I wish i was a better cook oh here we go don't fucking i'm not i wasn't i was just gonna say i think i'm a decent cook so i, I that's not my list what thing do you think you don't need to be any better at i feel like i can be better at everything i don't feel like there's one thing that i'm I mean, I feel like I can improve in every aspect of my life. Lowest on your priority list? Pro- probably taking care of my family. I think mm. I do a great. I think I do a great job of that so far. Mine would probably be patience. I think I should actually be less patient than I am. Yeah, you're a pretty. Uh, you're a pretty relaxed guy. That's for sure. Okay, we talked about ourselves a lot this episode. 
Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, please leave a review. It really helps us out. We really appreciate it. And I'd love to hear what are some of the things that you wish that you were better at. Quite frankly, both John and I should have put this podcast as our number one thing. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.